0: Hi there, listeners. It's Samira from Slate Studios. Now, I know I'm not the voice you usually hear on Working, but today we're giving you something a little different, an episode from The Relentless, a series produced by Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. It's a podcast about looking at success differently. I'm excited to tell you about this episode that you're about to hear. It features Liliana Petrova, the former head of customer experience programs at JetBlue Airways. She has some great tips on creating extraordinary and seamless experiences for customers. If you like what you hear, you can download and subscribe to The Relentless on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Hope you enjoy it. This paid podcast is produced by Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. All uses of trademarks or brands are not meant to convey sponsorship or affiliation of this podcast.
1: From Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate, This is The Relentless, a podcast about looking at sales differently.
0: What if? What if I thought outside the box? What if it was more of a celebration with our clients than work?
1: In every episode, we're pulling back the curtain with thought leaders across industries and talking about how they embrace change, overcome hurdles, and stay relentless. I'm Dr. Julie Gerner. I've spent over a decade studying the behaviors of the ultra successful, and have used those insights to empower business leaders in finance, technology, and real estate. Over the last year, we've covered a lot on The Relentless. I've talked with innovative salespeople disrupting their industries, startup founders, and even a comedian about cultivating the skills, habits, and instincts that help us ladder up to success. And now, 12 months later, The Relentless has laddered up to a very special episode, our season finale. Today's show is all about how to see things from the customer's point of view. Because understanding how to elevate the customer's experience really does make a difference when it comes to closing a deal. So that made us think, how exactly do you deliver extraordinary experiences to clients?
2: If you frame a vision, you say, help me get there, then you will be much more heard. People love visionaries. People love visions.
1: <laughs> they are inspired by visions. What is inspired by, like, a problem. That's Liliana Petrova, the founder and CEO of the Petrova Experience, a customer experience consulting firm, as well as the former head of customer experience programs at JetBlue Airways.
2: They really were and are visionary in that sense that whatever I needed, I got. I really, really was set up for success. So I joined their compensation group in their people department. And the beauty of that job and how that prepared me to customer experience was that I really learned how to maintain a culture, how to build a culture, how to infuse culture in an organization in a very systemic, programmatic way while making it seem very organic. Then I moved to the operation where I managed the budget of the airports and I made a deal with the VP of finance then, and I said, if you let me travel, I'll find money, I'll find savings. Nobody had gone with that offer before. Wow. (laughs) So um, I did it, and and it was the most fascinating experience. I think this is really important for customer experience professionals, actually, because then when you want to fix things or or enhance things or even change things, this experience will create empathy and understanding
1: of what you're really asking of people, what drew you and attracted you to customer experience as a field? By the time I
2: was exposed to the operation, I really felt the customer for the first time. I was an immigrant, right? so I, I, the planes have this you know, romantic piece in them as well. And seeing and feeling how diverse the lives are of our customers and how important we are in their lives Mm. was something that I don't think I could feel uh, when I was just in, in the office. You know, people are going for weddings. People are going to funerals. People are going to reunions for high school. And if you're late or if you mess up their trip, on the surface, it's an operational, disturbing moment for you, but for them, it may be something that just will never come back. So that's kind of the first time when I went out, really fell in love with the customer-facing uh, world and getting to a place where I can make it better or I can control it in, in a more intentional way to make it a great experience.
1: I'm wondering if you can give an example of that. Sure. The JFK
2: terminal redesign for JetBlue was a very big uh, initiative. It was looking at a lobby that originally was built for national travel and looking at how to redesign it to be able to facilitate international travel, which is much more complex, Mm -hmm. and also facilitate planes that are bigger. Because initially JetBlue had planes that were 100 seaters, and by the time we were working on this, we had 150, 190 plus seats uh, on each plane. So although seemingly the number of flights were the same, the people throughput was higher. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the operational challenge we were looking at was how to expand the capacity of an existing facility, but in that also how do we create a customer experience that is seamless, frictionless, flawless, so we could really turn something that's transaction and take these transactions out of the uh, interactions with our crew members.
1: You clearly deeply connect with the customers. And I'm wondering if the methodology toward customer experience was established before you came on board, or was this something that you felt like you kind of uniquely offered to JetBlue in a new way?
2: I think I was really good at the relentlessness. That's why I like the name of this podcast. I have been called relentless. See, many people before me had the ideas. Where the magic happens is making it happen. <laughs> so what I brought as a unique skill was transforming ideas into products and services and experiences. The ideas themselves were there far before me. But even if we take the JFK Lobby Redesign and what we did there, JetBlue had tried this several times before me. So it's not that the ideas are novel. It is, I think, the methodology of how to organize 100 people to believe in that one vision and march in the same direction for a period of time in order for all the pieces in the puzzle to align And create that experience.
1: A lot of different industries, you know, have the same ideas about making customer experiences wonderful. What does it take to translate those ideas that everybody has, as you've noted, and don't execute on? To be able to actually execute on them and make them a reality. If you, let's say, say,
2: I want to make my customer happy. And then you're like, well, what do I need for that? I mean, let's say real estate. Let's take purchasing a home. And you're like, okay, well, for my customer to be happy, this nightmare of a process of purchasing property needs to be easy, seamless, not not as cumbersome. And then often we hear, well, but it's regulated, so you can't change anything. Well, the aviation is also regulated. Okay, well, what is not regulated? So I think a, a mindset of, let me see what is under my control versus what is not under my control is a good starting point. And then chasing the things that are in your control and seeing how can you make them better. You have more things that you control than you think, even when there are things you don't control. So I'll give you an example, if you're delayed, the quality of the communications, The timeliness of the communications to your customers are in your control. You cannot change the event, but what you can change and influence is the customer experience during that event. Another thing that I would mention here is that often amazing customer experience is not about wowing your customer. It is really not. If you do everything perfect and you meet your customer's expectations, they will love you. And what happens is we always wind ourselves to go the extra mile, to wild and then it's so hard and it's like, oh my God, I can't do this. No, just make signatures digital so people don't travel. Make things a little more automated in terms of documentation. Negotiate with some, create some sort of safety online firewalls so it's easier to upload versus going in person somewhere. Think of this, you know, Small transactions today that create so much inconvenience uh, for your customer and try to solve it.
1: I had read a quote, or I had heard a quote from you where you said, "Exceeding expectations is the goal of many, but the key is nailing the basics) <laughs> And I I really appreciated that quote. And when you think about the basics, you know I'd I'd heard that you had actually run through the travel experience yourself looking for these problem areas. Mm -hmm. Is this something that a strategy you kind of recommend for others to do?
2: That is the beginning. Uh, We always say this is the first step. The first step is also talking to them and understanding from their viewpoint what do they see. Because sometimes you go through the experience yourself but you have this bias of knowledge, mm. and you don't recognize you have it because this is your day-to-day. Uh, we always joked in JetBlue that we haven't bought a ticket for years, right? Like an aviator doesn't really go to their own website because we could fly, standby. That's return, a fantastic you know. point. It is a great perk. So uh, we actually never went to our own website, and let alone buy a ticket. So talking to customers, you know, so many people just, they're shy. They don't want to. It's, it's awkward sometimes, but you don't even need that many. <laughs> at one point, at very quick point, the teams will immerse. And hearing those teams is really the first step to knowing what is the problem. But the second exercise that I really highly recommend to those who really want to think this through is take a minute and think through the needs of the customer. I'll give you an example. For example, Amazon is doing convenience. But I, I'm going to give you time back. If you really think about what they're doing, the value, what are they really selling to us? It's time. Mm. There may be another brand, Apple, for example, they're selling you status, like that feeling that you you're you belong. There's Every brand has identified something very psychological that they're selling and that's probably matching the customer that they're targeting. So, Now you go, you hear your customers, you see the functional issues. It can be time, it can be effort, it can be something else. And then package your solution hitting on that specific value you're selling. If you just solve the functioning stuff without connecting on a human level, they may or may not really connect with you. They may appreciate it, but it's very robotic. But if you really understand what is the need you're serving, the human need, they will love you. That's where the emotional connection will happen.
1: So it seems like you were always learning, always pushing. And this was really the first of its kind initiative, having people, you know, use facial recognition technology to board. So I'm wondering, you know, when you are pushing, how are you working with resistance that you might get? In my case, I had...
2: No resistance in terms of JetBlue leadership or support or prioritizing things for me. Um, they really were and are visionary in that sense that whatever I needed, I got. The pushback for specifically for my case, it was more around the government side because mm. we were partnering with Customs and Border Protection to safely use their database for, for images from passports. And where the pushback was, was how innovative should we be? What I found out when you're faced with resistance is to really, uh, two things really help. One is bring the customer in the room, kind of. Do it the way you can, I don't know, bring customer stories, stories bring data, definitely adjust to your audience, whatever they accept. Conceptually bring the customer in the conversation so they can understand that the conversation is not about you versus them. It is about a customer, somebody who allegedly both of you really want to make heavy. And the other thing is show and tell. It is always harder. It's more work. And it always works. Hmm. If you explain things, if you, you know forget about it. Just take a camera. shoot 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 it if you can. If not, make a PowerPoint slide, but don't do word. Like if I'm to kind of grade the communication tools, don't do word. Nobody reads. Everybody's visual. And you know what was it? an image is hundred words, thousand words. Just try to be very, very visual about things.
1: Coming up, we'll hear more about creating extraordinary experiences for the customer with Liliana Petrova. Hey listeners, are you an extraordinary salesperson? Do you pride yourself at responding to customer emails at the speed of light? According to a Century 21 real estate survey, responsiveness is what clients crave most. 47% surveyed put responsiveness ahead of professionalism, local expertise, and experience as a trait they wanted in their agents. And that's the Century 21 brand approach. C21 agents never settle for an average experience. These are experts who are by your side every step of the way. Be a part of the team of agents that defy mediocrity and deliver the extraordinary. To find out more, visit century21.com careers. We're back with Liliana Petrova. What is the mindset you need to have to really succeed in elevating the customer experience?
2: I think having a vision is really important. You know, really seeing things for what they are end-to-end and not getting bogged down by the one thing you're doing now but seeing the system almost, because when you communicate, you're able to elevate your message. See, like if you go to somebody and say, I want to fix this thing, they're like, Well, this thing is not a priority. But if you go and you say, Well, listen, here's the customer experience, here's the journey, and that touch point is really bad, then they're like, Oh, yeah, you're right. People love visionaries, people love visions. <laughs> they are inspired by visions. Nobody's inspired by like a problem. But if you frame a vision, you say, help me get there, then you will be much more heard. And the other thing I would say is don't stop at no. I mean, I know it's kind of a cliche, but really don't. If somebody says no, just say, what can you do?
1: Is there a central message or feeling you're trying to convey in customers?
2: You know, I, I wrote a, an article when I was pregnant. So that must have been a year and a half ago about the, the MTA. At the time, I had a bad experience, but I, I talked more about how commuters that are not treated well by the brand don't treat each other well. If you just waited you're, you're 20 minutes for your morning commute, you're late for work, you're cramped yet again in a train, and you know a pregnant woman passes by you, by that time, you were really not in the space of giving or kindness or caring. So the message that I hope to give to to our customers, whoever they are, is to ignite them as well to be better humans to the people next to them. Or, you know, there is such a thing about like just passing it forward. And if we can treat more people nicely, then hopefully they'll treat their people nicely. And it's again, uh, I guess, again, impact, right? But like, Creating that, you know, I hate the word happiness because it's very kind of generic, but creating this world of, of, of kindness and empathy and caring. Yeah, it
1: seems very much a legacy experience, you know, that I I mean, and I've never really thought about it this way, not being not treated well by the brand, you don't treat each other well. But you do see that replicated when people are having these poor customer experiences, you know, it, it, it puts something inside of them that makes them agitated or upset or, and then that is passed along. Whereas when they have these beautiful experiences, these seamless experiences, as you describe, how they tend to treat each other is a I mean, bit different. I this
2: uh, manifests itself also in employee experience. We're not talking about this today, but cultures, corporate cultures, you know, they, they do start with uh, that beginning of culture starts at the top, you know, the way mm-hmm. they, the executives treat their people, it kind of trickles down. So this co codependence or, you know, causality thing I've seen in, in, in corporate cultures as well.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. So now you run your own business, the Petrova Experience, and you help other companies shape customer experiences. So when CEOs or founders ask you, how can I create extraordinary experiences for my customers, what do you start by telling them?
2: You know, I'm glad that you made this transition right now because this is exactly what I tell them. I say, start at the top. (laughs) How much do you care? And... Those who really care, really engage in a, in a meaningful way themselves in, in the solution. And those that think it's something that others need to do, their people or systems or somebody else but them, usually don't engage in a meaningful way. So I say, how much do you want to get engaged? Uh, and that's my uh, kind of LACMUS test of are we going to have a project or no.
1: That's interesting. So, how do people tend to respond when you put it on them? Because it does start with them. That's a good, good point.
2: It's it's really hard. To be <laughs> honest, like yeah. it took uh, it took a while to get the courage to go there, actually. And I would say a few months. I actually was afraid to to do it because you know the trade off of having jobs versus not having them. But then I realized that that mission and, and that purpose I have, I realized I wouldn't be living it if, if I didn't go that far to kind of recruit the executives um, immediately.
1: So if you could give some tips to someone who deals directly with clients themselves to make small shifts that can deliver a big impact, what, are, what would some of those tips be? Well, I mean, you know, I have to say, even when I was
2: my first job in Keyspan, I was a budget coordinator. And um, I couldn't understand anything. I was like, new. But when the budget season came, I understood very well that my job is terrible. Because <laughs> all these people would like call me with all these technical issues at the same time. I was burning paper. And I couldn't possibly help all of them because of the timing. They would all call at the same time. Mm. So then they were mad at me. So the next year, I was like, okay, these people are my customers. What am I going to do? Better. Well, I have whatever ten months before the next budget season. Let me call IT and see why are these people calling. See, it always starts with the reason why, like the question why. So, if you have customers, the first thing I would do is throw them a survey. When you hear the word survey, I know it's like daunting. Ask them three questions. Ask everybody the same three questions. I just did a survey. Three questions, thirty seconds. You tell them thirty seconds. Just tell me what you think. And then read it and see what they'll tell you and then start
1: thinking, how can you make this different
2: and change it for the better?
1: So if you want to shift a perception of your company to being customer first, how do you begin that transition?
2: Well, first you got to become that company.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Good point.
2: Well, uh, you know, we have this thing where we say perception is reality, right? So often uh, companies... Especially the bigger they are, there is this perception illusion delusion. I think where they don't always think that the customers think of them certain way in a certain way, and then when you go and bring to the boardroom the results, it's it's quite of a, a psychology again conversation to be like you know what like I know you think you're like, but there's a little bit of room for improvement here. So I think half of of this changing perception of brands is is having this vulnerability is probably the good word, to recognize that you have a problem.
1: That's a great point. It's hard to kind of self-assess and see that weakness, I would imagine. So what is the lasting impact of good customer experience on business? You know, like you start at a point where you make a change, as you've made with JetBlue, to make the travel experience seamless. How do you continue to provide extraordinary experiences as they continue on their journey, as travel evolves, as industries evolve? Well, I'm going to go back to culture
2: because I think this is the only engine that can self, you know, it's renewable energy there. Because at the end of the day, these shifts... That you're implying will happen are inevitable, right? The technology will evolve, travel will evolve, whatever your topic today is will change. So, being with the right mindset is the thing that will be your, your device in your tool to tap into, regardless of where you're heading and where your true north becomes. It's how you approach it that will stay the same.
1: So your reputation has been well known at JetBlue as, you know, someone who brings a specific vision and mission and someone who really connects with what the customers need. And I'm wondering how your reputation and being very relentless in that way has translated into your own business.
2: The first thing that happened was that some of the former JetBlue employees reached out to help me. The branding is done by somebody who uh, worked for JetBlue. Um, some of the people working with me now are also from JetBlue. So that reputation unexpectedly kind of rewarded me with help. Even people, you know, I didn't expect reached out. Uh, some of them worked pro bono as well. So it, it has been really humbling. See, the consulting business, what I'm learning is that it, it's a very long cycle, it's, it's very hard to go out on your own and it's not like selling a thing. I don't know how to explain it. There's a lot of trust that needs to be built. But then once the trust is there, there is a funding to be found. So in terms of acquiring clients, this um, this reputation has helped me fast track the trust phase of the engagements. I think in that sense, I... I haven't closed necessarily a deal that I can map back to to that specific source, but I have so many that are about to close. If, if that makes sense. So it's
1: really filled your pipeline. Yes, it's a pipeline.
2: Yeah, thank you.
1: That's great. And your reputation certainly solidifies, you know, your position to to hold that and to, to yeah. Through.
2: And also, it has allowed me, to be honest, to reach out to people and have this proxy almost. So even people that don't know me directly because of my reputation, that's built those online podcasts. I speak about things. There are people that responded otherwise probably would not.
1: Every episode, we choose a question from one of our listeners to pose to our guest. This is a question from Sarah Paget. She's based in Mansfield, Texas.
3: I think the the biggest struggle I have, because my business started out by myself, And that was my only intention ever. Of course, I wanted to make more money, but I didn't really know what that meant. And so very quickly, we expanded into what it, like a traditional team would be in real estate. So admin, buyer's agents, and it all kind of happened overnight. So knowing how to still offer someone really good service, but I also want to give quick service, and that means it's got to be more than just me. I worry about getting too big where someone says, oh, that's too big. I want to go back to that more mom-and-pop feel or that I just want to work with you. So I think finding that balance in between and making sure the customer's still okay And even with that handoff, you know, how do you hand off that person without it feeling like a handoff, you know, that we're still all
2: working together? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I think this is a question that we get a lot, actually, even with smaller companies that are growing fast. Fast growth is is a big nemesis of customer experience across. And I, I will go back to culture because this is the only thing that allows you to scale. So I would say... Take the people that work for you out, connect with them, send them flowers, whatever they're celebrating, acknowledge their holidays, thank their family members for sharing them with you through the year. They will love you. They will love you so much that when you go to them and you say, I have this client and I need you to make them happy, they will make that customer happy. It starts with your connection, your relationship with your team. And believing in that, building that trust and then they will be maybe even a better version of you. Who knows? You know? So it really it really is about spending time with your team and not because of the busy schedules not deprioritizing it.
1: Hmm. Because a lot of people – this is great insight because I think a lot of people would say when customers are saying something like, oh, I'm afraid it's going to get too big or that you know, I want that mom-and-pop feel, I think a lot of people would automatically put that outside their organization and say – you just have to more effectively communicate with your customer. Mm-hmm. And instead, you're saying if you build the relationships within your team, your team will build those relationships with your customers because they'll understand what that customer experience means from you, from the originator. And I think that's such a wonderful way to translate that for continued service and legacy. So thank you for that. I think that's a such a great insight. Sure. So Liliana, what does being relentless mean to you? Relentless is, to
2: me, believing in the impossible and believing in people and showing and enabling those people to also see the impossible. Most of the time, people are answering no because they also have some sort of insecurities about themselves. So if you are able to alleviate that or to show them some sort of a respect they may even not have about themselves. That relentlessness of keep going, keeping going. And, and even when they say no, finding the way to unlock their potential and their self belief is the engine of, of that relentless pursuit. Now, they will probably have a moment of, you know, not all of them will buy in, right? So some people will not like you. So being relentless also includes that responsibility uh, and ability to sleep at night knowing that some people will not like you. And I I don't say that easily. Uh, It's not always easy to sleep at night. But there is no way to bring change into the world and be loved by everybody. So don't expect that. And if you choose to be relentless, know that there will be those few that will just not like you but you will probably in the process have changed their lives as well.
1: So as your journey continues with the Petrova experience, what's next for you?
2: How for me, it's keeping it small, exclusive boutique. I think I've arrived. <laughs> I think well, this really is my going to be my life legacy, and that's what I want to do for the rest of my career. Um, that and, and raise my child. I have a daughter, so I'm raising another relentless Feisty (laughs) girl. So that's, that's really me.
1: Liliana Petrova, thanks so much for joining me today on The Relentless. Thank you for having me. The Relentless is produced by Slate Studios and Century 21 Real Estate. I'm Dr. Julie Gerner. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Copyright Century 21 Real Estate, LLC. All rights reserved. Century 21 Real Estate, LLC fully supports the principles of the Fair Housing Act and the Equal Opportunity Act. Each office is independently owned and operated. This material may contain suggestions and best practices that you may use at your discretion. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals featured and not necessarily of Century 21 Real Estate.